Well, this evening we're going to be continuing in our sermon series in Exodus. We come to Exodus 3, and I'd like just to read the first uh, few verses of Exodus chapter 3 before we start with, um, with, with our song worship. If you'd like to follow it with me, it's on page 59 of the Church Bibles, otherwise just feel free to, to listen. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush doesn't burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. Continuing on with uh, chapter, uh, sorry, verse 7 of chapter 3. Exodus 3, verse 7, on page 60. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hiphites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Continuing the reading in Exodus 3 on page 60 of the Church Bibles starting again from verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel, and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you. 
and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. Well, we've only got as far as um, chapter 3 of Exodus, and already we have seen some pretty amazing things. We've seen a nation oppressed by slavery, whose lives have been made bitter by hard labour, and yet, we're told, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. We've seen an evil king order the Hebrew midwives to kill the baby boys. And yet, because they feared God more than they feared man, God was kind to them. The people increased, and they had families of their own. We've seen how one desperate mother put her baby in a basket, and how by God's providence, he was found by Pharaoh's daughter, who, without realising it, paid for his own mother to bring him up. Incredible stories of faith and of God's providence. But before we end up discouraged because of our own comparative lack of faith and inadequacy, we also see real humans with real struggles and insecurities that we can relate to. We saw how Moses became prince of Egypt and imagine what his parents would have been thinking. They'd probably been praising God for the way this plan had come together, how they'd managed to get Moses into the palace and now all they were waiting for was the right moment for Moses to have a quiet little word in the king's ear, and the people of Israel would be released. And it's so easy for us to get into that way of thinking, isn't it? We we see some of God's intervention, and we start to think, we know how it's all going to pan out. How this is going to end. I can see how the building project is going to end up all for the good. I can see how our new youth worker is going to arrive in the church. But we don't know the future. And the reason God doesn't tell us is because, more important than us knowing the future is us trusting in him for the future, whatever that may hold. It looked like everything was going well for Moses, but it all goes horribly wrong. He does a stupid thing, he gets involved in a fight, he ends up killing a man, and he has to flee for his life. And because of this one mistake, instead of living a life of royalty, he ends up living in Midian as a poor shepherd. How did it all go wrong, he must be asking himself. As the... uh, Rogue trader at Swiss Bank must be asking himself this week, having been living in a £1,000 a week apartment and now faces a very different sort of accommodation. 
Where do we go from here? At the end of chapter 2, last week, we left Moses in Midian and we returned to the rest of Israel because their situation hadn't changed. Have a look there at the end of chapter 2, in verse 23 there. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. It's a good cliffhanger, isn't it? It was a good way to end last week. What's going to happen next? Has Moses been written out of the script? Does God need to introduce a new character now to rescue his people? Well, the surprising answer is no. Forty years on, and Moses has written back into the story. It's a bit like a, a celebrity who disappears off the scene. You think, I wonder whatever happened to so-and-so. Or in a soap opera where a character's killed off and somehow they come back to life. Think of Dirty Den and EastEnders, or others, I'm sure, come to mind. Moses left the story as a, a rich young ruler, and now he reappears as a poor old shepherd. And the amazing thing about the story of Moses is that God's plans and timing are so different from what we expect. We would expect to use Moses at his peak, when he had so much to offer, humanly speaking. And yet God chooses to use him in his twilight years. How does he do that? Well, let's have a look. It's a very strange encounter we have here. Moses is busy tending a flock of sheep belonging to his father-in-law. We're not told how. He ends up at Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, but presumably God has led him to this mountain, this very special encounter. And it's here that Moses sees a bush on fire. When we were living in St Albans, we had a large piece of land at the bottom of our garden and um, it was ideal for fireworks parties. So we used to sort of invite all the neighbours around for some hot dogs and um, our own fireworks. Um, Quite a risky thing to do sometimes. Anyway, one year I uh, managed to put a Catherine wheel to nail it onto a fence post. Uh, I lit it and uh, moved away. Uh, Unfortunately, I hadn't uh, nailed it in hard enough. The Catherine wheel came off. Um, which wouldn't have been such a problem, except it landed in a small conifer bush. The bush uh, went whoosh, and uh, it was actually more spectacular than the rest of the fireworks. Uh, it didn't actually take long for that bush to turn into a black charred stump. And so for Moses here to see a bush that was on fire, but not burning up, was pretty impressive. And it's not surprising that he goes over to take a look. Am I seeing things here? What is, what is going on? As he goes over, even more strangely, hears a voice um, speak to him from the bush. Moses. Moses. He says, here I am. And God says, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. But what on earth is this going on here? Why the fire? Why take off his shoes. Well, the image of the fire and the taking off the shoes are both to do with God's holiness. The description of God as holy is probably the most common description of God in the Bible. But uh, it's also in many ways the most difficult to really grasp because it attempts to describe God's nature, how he's fundamentally different from us. It conveys the idea that he is set apart, he's separate 
in the sense of being self-sufficient, being unique, able to exist without anybody or anything else. And fire is often used as a symbol of the presence of the holy God and man's separation from God. But we also talk from a very young age that fire is dangerous. You don't play with fire, you don't touch it, you don't go near it. Fire destroys what it comes into contact with. And as simple human beings, we cannot come into the presence of God without serious consequences. And if we are truly conscious of our sin, we will be afraid of God, as Moses was, and ended up hiding his face. Or as the prophet Isaiah said many years later, he said, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. One of the problems of the church in history has been to focus um, so much on God's love, his grace, and his mercy, that we've lost sight of his awesomeness, his purity, his, his majesty, his moral beauty. On the other hand, there are some churches who, who overemphasize God's holiness and he appears as distant, as unapproachable, as harsh, unconcerned about events going on in the world. But in this passage, we see both sides of God's character. We see his holiness. We also see him relate to his people, his concern for his people. And the first way in which we see, see that is in making it possible for Moses to approach him. Take off your sandals, he says. Now, it seems so simple, doesn't it? Just take off your shoes and approach God. Because God wants us to approach him. He wants us to come into his presence. He puts in place measures to do that. Later on, he will institute a system of sacrifices. Sacrifices that will make it possible for the people of Israel to approach God. And these sacrifices, we know, point forward to that one perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. As it says in 1 Peter, it says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He died to bring you to God. And although this is a simple command here to Moses, take off your shoes, it is testing his obedience. And for us to come to God, we need to humbly accept what he asks of us. Because in many ways, to accept Jesus' death for us is a simple act of obedience. But of course, for the, the stubborn, for the hard-hearted, for the obstinate, it is actually very difficult. Well, having invited Moses into his holy presence, God expresses his concern for his people. Look at verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. Now, it's not that God was asleep and suddenly woke up and realized that his people were being oppressed. They've been oppressed for, for a few hundred years now. But now is the time he chooses to intervene. And so he tells Moses that he will show his concern by doing something about their situation. And so he says in verse 8, So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. Now by choosing this time and delaying what he's been doing, 
he's actually in many ways showing patience to the nations who have been living in that land. He's been giving them time to repent of their evil ways. Have a look back at Genesis 15 again, a passage we looked at a couple of weeks ago. This was the promise that God made to Abraham. Page 16 of the Church Bibles, Genesis 15, verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and ill-treated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. Then he carries on, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. The sin of the Amorites has got worse and now has come the time that God will punish them. And their punishment will coincide with the rescue of Israel. Well, how is God going to achieve this? Well, that's where Moses comes in because through Moses... God will demonstrate his action. And it's called to Moses, it's quite a short, it's to the point. Have a look there at verse 10. He says, so now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. The way God chooses to achieve his plans is through people. And it's an amazing privilege to be called by him to serve him in all sorts of different ways. And the amazing thing about the people God calls in the Bible is that very often they are pretty unimpressive people by human criteria anyway. It's a call a murderer like Moses who for 40 years has just been keeping sheep doesn't exactly seem like the best choice. But Moses has simply accepted his Lord. He's gone on with life and um, we assume he has just faithfully obeyed God in, in keeping the sheep. What probably has changed is Moses' own perception of himself. Had God called him 40 years earlier while he was still prince of Egypt, he would probably have been up for it. And for that reason, he would have been the wrong person. Because he was in a position of human power. He was physically fit, he was healthy, and he would probably have been more inclined to trust in his own abilities, in his own strength, than in God. Now, as we will see, he will have to trust entirely in the power that God gives him. Because this story is not about Moses, prince of Egypt. This story is about God, king of the universe. And before we move on to how Moses responds and how God can reassure him, there's a lesson I think we can take away from this ourselves, because what it is showing us is that ministry, service, begins in the presence of the Lord. Moses' call began with him coming into the presence of God. And for us to do God's ministry, we have to first come into his presence. Whatever we are doing, we need to start with prayer. We need to remind ourselves that why are we doing this? Whose benefit are we doing this for? Whose glory are we doing it for? And if we're doing it for any other reason than for the glory of God, then we are doing it for the wrong reason. We will become frustrated and the ministry will fail. Well, let's look at uh, Moses' very human reaction to God. I'm sure many of us here can um, relate to this. Because he basically responds to God with five excuses. God says, go. And what does Moses say? Well, first of all, he says, 
are not qualified. Have a look at uh, verse 11 there. Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Look, I'm just not up for that. I'm just a plain shepherd. I'm out of touch with things in Egypt. I haven't been there for 40 years. You know, it's completely different from when I used to be there. There must be others who can do this job. And it's important not to allow our familiarity with this story to make us forget the enormity of the task that God is asking Moses to do. How does one inexperienced man logistically organise the evacuation of two million people even if Pharaoh were to say yes. He needs a lot of convincing. And what does God say? Well, God says, I will be with you. God says, I will be with you. Don't worry, you're not on your own here. I don't know whether you have experienced those moments when you feel totally out of your depth, when you've had to throw yourself completely onto God and you feel him working through you. He's given you that extra strength. It's not like he somehow takes over your body and you become a sort of puppet or anything. It's still you, but you've been given that strength to do what he's asked you to do. I think sometimes our our trouble is that we're often so worried about failing, maybe failing publicly, that we stick to our comfort zones. We stick to what we're comfortable with and we don't give God the chance to use us. Well, Moses, like most normal human beings, is focusing on all the problems ahead that he can see. His next excuse is... They don't know me. Was he carry on to say, well, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Look, I'll be a stranger to these people. Everybody's forgotten me. Why should they believe that it's you who's sending me and I'm not just some sort of madman coming along with this wacky idea? Well, first of all, God says, tell them who it is who has sent you. Give them my name. What is his name? I am who I am. I am who I am has sent you. Yahweh. The Hebrew name for God that the Jews are afraid of speaking because it is so holy. The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God who has always existed and who always will exist, the God in three persons, Father, Son and Spirit. So that when Jesus comes to earth, he too can say, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was, I am. I too am that God. Well, God says to Moses, well, tell them how I appear to you and then give them this message in verse 17. He says, I've watched over you, I've seen what has been done to you in Egypt, and I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. In short, I'm the God of compassion. And Moses is still not convinced. What if they don't believe me? What if they don't believe me? And so God gives him two miraculous signs to perform to convince them. He tells him to throw his staff on the floor and it becomes a snake. He says, pick up the snake by the tail and it becomes a staff again. Pretty impressive miracle to perform. He puts his hand inside his cloak, pulls it out and it's leprous. It's covered in leprosy. He puts it back in again and it's healed. This is a God who can do anything. This is a God who can bring them out of Egypt. But still... Not enough 
for Moses. He says, I'm not a public speaker. I'm not very eloquent. I, I mumble, I get all nervous, I forget my words. God's answer to him, if I'm calling you to do something, I will make sure that you are able to do it. Who was the one that gave you a mouth in the first place, he says to him. Do you think it's beyond me to help you speak? I will tell you what to say. I always find it amazing when um, people um, want to be baptised and obviously they're they're quite nervous about having to to give the testimony quite publicly, particularly for those who've never done anything in public before. It is quite a nerve-wracking thing. And then they get up here and they give their testimony and it comes across as if they've been doing it all their lives. There's such confidence there, it's flowing out of them. Because God is helping them speak those words. Well, Moses' final excuse is not really an excuse, it's just a plea. Please, please God, just send somebody else, not me. And we need to um, be careful how we read God's response here in verse um, 14 onwards of chapter 4, because um, it can come, come across as a very human reaction. You know, I'm, I'm fed up now with trying to persuade you. I suppose we can get your brother to do it. But it's not quite like that. God is angry. And that anger is because of Moses' disobedience. His lack of trust in what God has promised him. He's reassured him that he will give him all he needs to do this task. And yet, he is still reluctant. But God doesn't give up on Moses. For God to suggest Aaron is another way of equipping Moses for the task that he's given him. And that actually comes out of God's providence, that God has raised another man, his brother, an older brother, who can speak, who's gifted in speaking. Well, to apply this episode to ourselves, um, ministry is, first and foremost, about humble obedience. It's about trust in God. It's not about human gifting and ability. God will give us the gifting that we need to do the ministry that he calls us to. And to be called by God to do his work is an amazing privilege. And and rather than think of reasons why we shouldn't do that, let's look at it as a great opportunity to depend on God and through his power to grow in our faith. It was good to speak to Nathan Manzi last week before he left for university. And um, while it's a bit nerve-wracking sometimes to go off to university for the first time, Uh, with all those challenges ahead. He's excited about the opportunities that he may have to grow in his faith, to rely on God. And isn't that exciting? But you don't have to go somewhere new to be excited about growing in your faith and trusting in God. There are always new ways of serving him and just continuing in the service that you are doing for him. God calls us. He will equip us to do his work but he requires from us to trust and obedience. Well, let's just uh, finish with the verses at the end of chapter 4, because this is what the Lord was looking for from Israel, and it's what the Lord is looking for from us. Verse 29 of chapter 4. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, And they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. The people believed 
and they worshipped. They believed the word of the Lord and they were grateful for his concern. And that is the response that God expects for us to believe in his word, to obey it, and to be grateful for the love and the concern that he has shown us, that he's shown us in sending his son to die for us. That is the life that God is looking for us to lead. One in which we worship him every day, as we acknowledge his guiding presence, his presence with us, as we acknowledge his love, and as we make ourselves available for his service. Here I am, send me. We're going to watch a video now. It's quite a, um, a powerful video. It's quite a little bit long, some, about 10 minutes, but it's very powerful. It's emotional, so get your, your handkerchiefs ready. Um, but it's also very challenging. And um, hopefully God will speak to us through this. And then I'll pray afterwards. Blowing the gift to pieces with a bang! 
Of 
children in captivity. God, that's the sound that comes to me. Are you still far away on high? Still staring out at that empty sky? Still reaching out with that longing hand? I hear no voice and I don't understand. I know about theology. I know you gave your son for me. I know you're wrapped in mystery. I get invisibility, but I still see their misery. I hear their voices haunting me, saying, who will come and set us free? Who will come and set us free? Who will come and set us free? Here am I. Send me. Here am I. Send me. Here am I. 